Hello everybody and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 354. Today's big Bible question, does God punish our sin with disaster, troubles, and pain? Or why do bad things happen to bad people? Well, happy Tuesday, friends. Our readings today begin with 2 Chronicles 16, then Zechariah 2, John 5, and Revelation 6. Commenter Og explained the end of the 100-plus-year Hernhut prayer meeting we discussed yesterday thusly. I'm going to guess that the prayer meeting ended because someone forgot the custom and said, Amen. I think you may, might be onto something there, brother. <laughs> Imagine being the guy that accidentally said amen and then realized he had just ended the longest prayer meeting in history. That would be kind of a bummer. Well, our question today is a pretty big one, and we're going to ask and attempt to answer it in a variety of ways. Are disasters, injuries, sickness, troubles, trials, and other bad things that happen to us the result of sin? Well, the answer to that question is really pretty easy, and it is an unqualified yes. All bad things are the result of sin. Prior to the fall of man in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, there was no sickness, death, suffering. All was peace and blessing right up until the point that sin entered the world and brought with it a host of everything bad. Well, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. Romans 8.20-23 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. So yeah, all of creation, all of the suffering, we're groaning now. We're groaning because of sin. We're groaning because we're waiting to be saved ultimately and fully from our sin. So all basically, all suffering is the result of sin directly or indirectly. However, we haven't fully answered our question yet because we need to personalize it. Is the bad thing happening right now in our lives. Maybe your life. Maybe it's a health struggle. Maybe financial issues. Maybe relationship troubles. Whatever. Or maybe things are going great for you right now. I'd be surprised. Bless the Lord if that's who you are. Everything's going good. Maybe the bad thing that happened in your the your life a year ago, a month ago, a week ago, 10 years ago. Did that bad thing happen because of your sin? Did the bad things in my life happen because of my sin? Well, the answer is a little less definitive here, but we're going to read John chapter 5, and we need to pay particular attention to Jesus's charge to the man he heals at the pool of Bethsaida. So John 5 verse 1, after this, a Jewish festival took place and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda or Bethsaida in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, 
This is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. And he replied, The man who made me well told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you to pick up your mat and walk, they said. But the man who was healed did not know who it was, because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin any more, so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus responded to them, My father is still working, and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wants. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to give to have life in himself, and he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, because his time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done bad things or wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony he gives about me is true. You sent messengers to John, and he testified to the truth. I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But if... I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time and you haven't seen his form. You don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. I do not accept glory from people, but I know you, that you have no love for God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? Well, that's good stuff and a strong challenge from Jesus. In particular, verse 39, where he says, You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. We need to remember it's not the Bible who saves us. It The Bible is the word of God, but it's Jesus who saves us. 
So back to the man healed in the pool of Bethesda or Bethsaida. Um, he is healed. Jesus finds him later on and says this very intriguing thing to, to him. See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Now, just based on this passage, we might conclude a few things. Maybe we would conclude that this paralytic was in the shape he was in because of his sin. If we continued that thought, we might personalize it and wonder if whatever bad thing that is happening to us or has happened to us previously happened because we had sinned. Now, I gather from this passage that such a thing is definitely a possibility. It's quite certain that God disciplines those he loves, so says Hebrews 12, 4 through 11, and it's certainly possible that discipline could include a trial or a health issue like this. And I note here, as we've discussed before, that discipline and punishment are two different things. And I generally believe the Bible teaches us that God does not discipline us merely to bring harm and pain, but he disciplines his people, his children, for their long-term benefit, for their long-term good, just like a good and loving father does to their children. Now, in looking at this passage, we need to be careful in two different ways. First, Jesus doesn't directly state that this man was paralyzed because of sin. So we don't need to infer what wasn't implied. We've got to be careful. Second, we need to realize that this scripture is just a sliver of the whole counsel of God on our question of why bad things happen to people. So we don't need to build the entirety of our theology or our answer on one single verse. We need to look at other scripture Two, that said, we don't want to miss the warning in this passage either because it's very important. Those who persist in sin could be opening themselves up to something bad happening. I am not sure what is worse than being paralyzed, but honestly, anything worse than that would most certainly be considered catastrophic. We can safely conclude here and via numerous other passages that Passages that God does sometimes allow or cause bad things to happen to those who are persisting in sin. Well, another angle to our question. Does every person with an existing medical condition, paralysis in this particular case, but I'm sure you can imagine many others too, do that? does that show evidence that God is punishing them or, for instance, their parents for their sin? And the answer is absolutely not. And that is uh, very clearly covered in the Bible, as we'll see in a few days when we read chapter 9 of John. But let me read the first three verses now. As Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Here's the answer. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. Well, that's a great question by the disciples. I'm glad they asked it. Was a man born with a birth problem being cursed because of the sin of his parents or maybe because of his future sin or something like that? Well, the answer, according to Jesus, is no, neither of those things, which tells us that not every affliction is brought about directly because of our sin or somebody else's sin. Well, what about natural disasters, mass casualty incidents, and things like that? Well, famously, a televangelist in 2005 noted his belief that God sent Hurricane Katrina to destroy New Orleans because of the collective sin of its people. Could this be true? Well, of course it could be true. But it's a very, very presumptuous thing to say apart from God clearly revealing his will about such a thing. Uh, 
And, you know, you'd think, well, why not Las Vegas? Why not New York? Why not Birmingham, Alabama, where a particularly notorious sinner named Chase Thompson lived in 2005, if God was going to do that sort of thing? And I'm not saying he doesn't, but why New Orleans and not some other cities filled with sinners? And that's a hard question to answer. And so we have to be uh, careful about being presumptuous and pronouncing why God is doing things. That's a dangerous business to get into explaining why God does something unless you are standing very, very, very clearly on a particular Bible verse that is very, very clearly applicable to the situation. And brothers and sisters, such a thing is rare. Besides that, we have a scene in Luke chapter 13 we've discussed before where Jesus actually gives us some insights into disasters and their results to us. And uh, it's Luke 13, verses 1 through 5. At that time, some people came and reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And he responded to them, Do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No. Hear it again. No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Or those 18 that the tower in Siloam fell on and killed. Do you think they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Well, do you think that city, New Orleans, that had so many people killed by uh, the Hurricane Katrina, or the city of New York that had so many people killed by the 9-11 disasters, were they more sinful than other cities? I think Jesus might say no in that case, unless, and I'm not saying it's not possible, but it's extraordinarily presumptuous to pronounce judgment on places from a human perspective, unless God has proclaimed that judgment very specifically, and you are speaking prophetically for him. And again, that's a dangerous business to be to be in as well. Um, we have to be extremely careful about speaking for God unless he is most certainly speaking through us or speaking through his word. The bottom line, as we've discussed before, is that we should hardly avoid being presumptuous about assuming in trials, troubles, injuries, deaths, sicknesses, and every other disaster in our lives and other people's lives. God is about the business of working all things together for the good of those who know him and are called according to his purpose, and we most certainly cannot see all of the ways that he is doing this, so let's not speak confidently and boldly about that which God hasn't informed us. So we'll close with some wisdom from Tim Keller on this subject. He's going to talk a little bit about Job's friend Eliphaz, and if you'll remember, Eliphaz is one of Job's friends who, from the Old Testament, said that all of the bad things that happened to Job happened because of Job's sins. Now, God tells Eliphaz that he's wrong about this, but that just that's what the thing that uh, Pastor Tim Keller is talking about here. And he says, God lets suffering come into Job's life so that today he's one of the most famous people who have ever lived, one of the greatest figures in the history of the human race. Millions of people have been changed by the example of Job. Why? Did Job have some kind of tragic flaw, something God was trying to deal with? No, it was like the man born blind in John 9, that the glory of God would be known in the whole world. But Job couldn't have seen it. Not only couldn't Job see that, but also Joseph couldn't see that. Nobody could see it. And his Job's friend Eliphaz is absolutely wrong to say, well, you have to figure out what God is trying to do here. Now, here's the problem, and this is what really concerns us. 
Eliphaz's counsel is awfully close to what you hear in many churches today. There are an awful lot of churches where you're going to hear people say, if you're sick, it's because of a lack of faith. Or if you're not prospering prospering financially, it's because of a lack of faith or a lack of sin, or you're not really surrendering to God. Whatever, same thing. Do you know what's wrong about all of this, says Pastor Keller? This is illogical and moralistic. It's illogical, first of all, in the idea that when you start to suffer, you can figure out what God is trying to do. To say, oh, I know what God is doing. I need to change this and this and everything will be all right is as stupid as to say God doesn't have any purpose. God has abandoned me. How do you know? Look at Joseph in the Old Testament. Look at Job. Look at all of these stories we see in the scripture. No one can know from your vantage point and no one can know many times after years and years and years of going through it what in the world God is up to. So guess what? You're going to have to trust him. It's illogical to think you can figure it out or you can see it. Not only that, but it's moralistic. The real problem Eliphaz has is he doesn't understand the meaning of God's grace. He sees the word of God as a record of people who, by living well, get God's reward and blessing. Actually, though, when you look at the Bible, do you know what it's a record of? Yeah, Abraham and Job and people like that are relatively better. And Jacob, Jonah, and people like that are relatively worse, but they all suffered. Do you know why they suffered? Because of God's love. They suffered because God was enlarging them. The Bible is not a record of people living right and getting the blessing. It's a record of people who are so broken and so corrupt that they never would have been able to rise above their own brokenness and corruption except the grace of God broke into their life, often in the form of disappointment, discouragement, and disaster. So my friends, the word is, you and I aren't going to always understand what God is up to in our lives. So in the same way that we probably would be careful telling a friend who had just broken a leg in a bike accident, hey, Bob, that happened to you because you sinned last week. I hope we would be careful to do that. We probably better be careful telling ourselves the same things when we're going through trials and tribulations. Oh, I know why God did this to me or God allowed this to happen to me. It's because I'm a sinner. Well, you better believe you're a sinner and you need Jesus's grace. And the same word that Jesus said to so long ago, uh, repent, (laughs) is the same word I want to say to you now. Absolutely repent. But just remember, we don't always know what God is doing in the things we are going through. So let us be humble. Let us be in the word and let us be repentant. Well, on to Second Chronicles chapter 17, verse 1. Asa's son Jehoshaphat became king in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. He stationed troops in every fortified city of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and the cities of Ephraim that his father Asa had captured. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his ancestor David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked by his commands, not according to the practices of Israel. So the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. Then all Judah brought him tribute, and he had riches and honors in abundance. He took great pride in the Lord's ways, and he again removed the high places and Asherah poles from Judah. In the third year of his reign, Jehoshaphat sent his officials, Ben-Hale, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathanael, and Micaiah to teach in the cities of Judah. The Levites with them were Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Ashel, Shemaramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, and 
Tob Adonijah, the priests Elishama and Jehoram were the with those Levites. They taught throughout Judah, having the book of the Lord's instruction with them. They went throughout the towns of Judah and taught the people. The terror of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of the lands that surrounded Judah, so they didn't fight against Jehoshaphat. Some of the Philistines also brought gifts and silver as tribute to Jehoshaphat. And the Arabs brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. Jehoshaphat grew stronger and stronger. He built fortresses and storage cities in Judah and carried out great works in the towns of Judah. He had fighting men, valiant warriors in Jerusalem. These are their numbers according to their ancestral families. For Judah, the commanders of thousands. Adna, the commander, and 300,000 valiant warriors with him. Next to him, Jehoihanan, the commander, and 280,000 with him. Next to him, Amasiah, son of Zikri, the volunteer of the Lord, and 200,000 valiant warriors with him. From Benjamin, Eliada, a valiant warrior, and 200,000 with him, armed with bow and shield. Next to him, Jehotzebad, and 180,000 with him, equipped for war. These were the ones who served the king, besides those he stationed in the fortified cities throughout all of Judah. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 1, I looked up and saw a man with a measuring line in his hand, and I asked, Where are you going? And he answered me, To measure Jerusalem, to determine its width and length. Then the angel who was speaking with me went out, and another angel went out to meet him. He said to him, Run and tell this young man, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the number of people and animals in it. The declaration of the Lord, I myself will be a wall of fire around it, and I will be the glory within it. Listen, listen, flee from the land of the north. This is the Lord's declaration, for I have scattered you like the four winds of heaven. This is the Lord's declaration. Listen, Zion, escape you who are living with daughter Babylon. For the Lord of armies says this, in pursuit of his glory, he sent me against the nations plundering you. For whoever touches you touches the pupil of my eye. For look, I am raising my hand against them and they will become plunder for their own servants. Then you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me. Daughter Zion, shout for joy and be glad, for I am coming to dwell among you. This is the Lord's declaration. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day and become my people. I will dwell among you and you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. The Lord will take possession of Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and he will once again choose Jerusalem. Let all humanity be silent before the Lord For from his holy dwelling he has roused himself. Revelation chapter 6 verse 1. Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! I looked, and there was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. A crown was given to him, and he went out as a conqueror in order to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! Then another horse went out, a fiery red one, And its rider was allowed to take peace from the earth so that the people would slaughter one another, and a large sword was given him. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there was a black horse. Its rider held a set of scales in his hand. Then I heard something like a voice among the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked. And there was a pale horse, its rider was named Death, and Hades was following after him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, by famine, by plague, and by the wild animals of the earth. 
When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had given. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? So they were each given a white robe and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. Then I saw him open the sixth seal. A violent earthquake occurred. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Lord, have mercy. Well, friends, may the Lord enable you to stand by his grace in this day, in this week, and in this hour of such great turmoil in our world. May he shine his grace and his face on you. Good day to you and Godspeed.